Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Diana Gladney. If you have a video that you can refer them to, or even better, they find you by way of that video, you jump through so many hurdles very quickly. And now you start to see, which is one of the things I initially started to see early on when I started to do YouTube the right way, was people come to your inbox now, or they now send that email saying, I've been binge watching your videos. I've learned X, Y, and Z from you. I'm ready to start X, or I need to do X. And we've skipped all of that stuff because you did the work one time and it paid off for you. Hi there and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle and every week I speak with incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing and monetizing your expertise, intentionally growing a unique personal brand and the mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're new here then, while you still have your device in your hand, take a second to subscribe. That way you won't miss a single thing. If you're a regular listener, then consider sharing this show with just one person. It's the very best way you can help the show grow and help me reach more people. And if you're watching on YouTube, hi, thank you for coming. YouTube's kind of new, Diane. Diana, we're going to be talking about this a bit today. But yeah, while you're here, consider subscribing. Now, audio, like podcasts, things like that, they're great for going deep with people. And for me, if I'm honest, they're a great way to meet new people. I'm not going to lie. But when it comes to moving people towards taking action, there is nothing beats video. My video journey has been long and hard. And anyone who knows me knows I'm not big on stepping out in front or being on stage or being visible in any form. It's not natural for me. And this week's guest has been a role model and a distant mentor for years now. So it's my pleasure to finally meet and also share with you Diane Gladney. Diane, welcome to the show. Diana, not Diane. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure to be here. So I have been watching your YouTube stuff for a long time. I think your YouTube channel is probably one of those where people, they go there when they need something. I think that's been my experience. But over the years, it's, it's kind of changed a little bit. But before I start racing into all my questions, because Trust me, for the for the listener, I'm holding up a page of paper with all my notes on it. For you on YouTube, that's all my notes. I have so many questions. But for the listener who's meeting you today for the first time, can you maybe just start by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Diana Gladney, as you stated. I'm a native out of St. Louis, Missouri, aunt to 22 incredible nieces and nephews and the youngest of six. So I come from a very large family. So being an introvert, you you have to learn those extrovert tendencies. So needless to say, starting out, video was not my go-to thing. Uh, I would much rather pick a book, go find an empty part of the house and just go and read. And that never really changed as I got older. So <laughs> uh, to do all of this with video is very interesting and different. But my journey with video actually got started with uh, a mentor of mine doing like I usually do with a lot of my clients and probably you're familiar with as well, Bob, which is say that you have to actually get started doing video. And for me, that was probably like the worst news ever. And so doing that and transitioning into video later on was, again, it's just a complete world difference. Now, what I actually wanted to get started with was helping entrepreneurs just get started. A lot of people find it difficult to take that initial step. But what I uncovered was the more that I started creating videos, the more I ran into issues that at the time I couldn't find good, dedicated answers that weren't trying to turn you into a filmmaker or some photographer of some sort. I just wanted to make videos for my business and brand. Uh, and so the more I started producing those videos of like, hey, 
here's what I've found to be helpful and here's what I'm using or what I'm doing, then my audience really started to grow. And, and obviously the brand and I honestly just uncovered a whole new passion uh, around helping entrepreneurs simplify and learn the video creation process. So that's what I've been able to do and been able to quit my full-time job to go full-time in my business and is now running a team. And we do a lot of amazing things still with that core focus of helping entrepreneurs simplify the video creation process. So like I said, I have a lot of questions. Before we started recording today, before we were speaking, I went back and I scrolled back to the very beginning of your YouTube channel because I wanted to see what was there. Mm. And I was delighted to see that it wasn't amazing. Because if you look at your videos now, they are amazing. And I think this is probably a great place to start because it's very easy to judge other people's content output or maybe to compare your your own poor efforts to somebody else's efforts where they've maybe been doing it for a long time and think, well, what's the point? If, if they're doing that, I can't do that right now. So maybe I should just not bother. I guess what would be your message to yourself looking back at those very first videos? Ooh, I, I could pick a lot of stuff for her to do. So <laughs> if I had to give a message, though, for myself, I would say really just be encouraged. I think a lot of time that's that's what anybody needs, just to be encouraged that what you're doing is right. The path that you are on, are on is right. The direction you're taking is right. I mean, most of the time it's like where you are in that moment. It doesn't feel like what you're doing is the right thing because of the right now circumstances, maybe the right now gear that you're using isn't the best, or like I say, your editing or just the presentation of the videos may not be the best, but it's the consistent focused effort and knowing that you're actually on the right path. You're just at a different spot than where you will be. It's just, it literally would be that, just be encouraged. I think one of the things watching your YouTube channel is I hear a lot of people saying, I'll tell you, the biggest barrier for me for a long time was not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. And because I didn't know exactly what to do, I did nothing. And I think this is what a lot of people struggle with. And what I love about your channel, when you do go back, you can see you started making content, you learned as you went, and then you course corrected. You discovered your passion and your niche or niche through the action, through the doing. Mm. And for me, that's a really important thing to see. Did it feel like that that was what you were doing? Or were you, looking back on it now, do you remember that that was a conscious process or an unconscious process? So if I look back to where I got started at and like we're, like the mindset of myself at that time, I would love to say like, oh, like I, I always knew or I really believed or what have you. But honestly, the truth is I didn't know. I had hope. That's the most I can say that I had at that time. I had hope that what I was doing would be uh, it would uncover passion. I didn't know that 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 was I was in the process of doing that. All I was doing was being obedient to what my coach told me to do. I knew that when I met with him and from that initial conversation of him saying, you need to do video at like a split second of a thought of this guy doesn't know who I am. He's crazy. I don't even take pictures like I recycle the same seven photos on Facebook profile every few years, like <laughs> like nobody's ever seen the other six. And so at the time when he said, like, do video, I'm just like, you're crazy. But at the same time, I also knew that I didn't hire this coach for me to remain the same. And so I just leaned into that of to get to a different stage of life, to get to what I'm saying that I want, my actions have to be different. And so I wasn't looking for necessarily like comfort. And so I just kind of leaned into the discomfort and the unknown. And the only thing, like I said, I did have was hope that what I was doing would be right. I didn't know that it would completely change or I would get into video 
um, content marketing and creation and stuff like that. I just, I just had hope. That's it. So from my perspective, looking into your business, it's very easy to just pigeon you, pigeonhole you as a YouTuber, but your business is a lot broader than that. You do have a successful YouTube channel, 20,000 subscribers, which to some people they'll look at it and think, oh my God, that's amazing. That's so big. Other people might think that's kind of small, but it's what works for you. What do you need in order to have a viable business? You have a successful business. And I mentioned the numbers in or simply in order that people can have some context, but that isn't the totality of Diana Gladney's world. For the listener, can you maybe just give a bit of orientation as to what your business actually looks like in the broader sense, in order that we can have a, a good conversation about the whole rather than the parts? Yeah. So I think a lot of people's perspective, like when they, especially if they find you through YouTube, like you said, they assume that's all that you do. YouTube sometimes is the very least uh, of what we do. It's not the main thing. It's a thing in the business. And so most of what I've been doing, like I quit my job. It wasn't like when I got like at 15 or like I said, closer now to 20. Had I quit way before it even made sense because the videos are a part of the business. It's not the only thing. And so what we do in the company, what I do in the company, uh, myself, my team, Focus, again, always helping entrepreneurs simplify the video creation process. So that does is presentations, like speaking again this year, the social media marketing world. Um, and so we're doing trainings for organizations, teams, individuals. So it may be one-on-one -on -one coaching or, like I said, on the broader perspective of working with a, a brand or organization or the like. Doing different talks where there's especially like, yeah, especially like in 2020, uh, all of that was digital. So all the talks at that time was digital stages. And so now it's a hybrid mix of like digital and physical stages uh, of the places that I'm talking and things that I'm doing and the like, which is nice <laughs> to not always be indoors and stuff all the time. Uh, the other aspect of that is, like I said, now we're getting into the content side of things is producing videos that will, number one, again, serve the business, but also help meet people where they are so that they can start solving some of these problems that they're running into. Now, you keep showing up every time somebody has uh, an issue. And I'd learned this from, honestly, from uh, Roberto Blake, who's another great example, where every time I had a problem, I went to YouTube and I started searching, this guy kept coming up. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, this dude must really know some stuff. But, like He always has an answer or something about what I'm asking a question about. And so I recognize that if I want to have that kind of presence to where it's like you cannot escape me no matter where you go uh, when it comes to certain things around video. I wanted to make sure that I kept coming up so that leads and feeds the other parts uh, of the business. And obviously that's podcasting. That's the social media content that we put out on like TikTok or Instagram or LinkedIn even. And then, of course, the main hub of that content is over on YouTube, which is always a personal joy and love for me. And that leads into like our Friday live streams and stuff like that. So looking at the, the cross section of your revenue streams, again, when we think YouTube and YouTuber, we think monetization and things like that. And you probably have an element of that. Then because you're talking about tech and gear, there's also affiliate revenue and things like that. Mm. And then there's, as you mentioned, speaking. But what does your typical revenue breakdown look like? Nothing confidential. Yeah, sure. So the bulk of the money for any of the things that I've done, YouTube has always been like the least or some of the least amount of money that we make. Most people, they think like money from YouTube and they're thinking the ads that run so that YouTube AdSense, they're thinking like, oh, how can I get YouTube to pay me more money? That's honestly pennies on the dollar for the amount of effort 
like you're starting all videos out in the negative because you're, again, working towards that financial goal or working to hit the black or the green or what have you. But a lot of times creators, they're staying in the red because they're only paying attention to YouTube. So a lot of that comes from coaching, consulting and speaking. Those are the primary income sources uh, in the business. And then underneath that, you start to get into that associative and related stuff, whether that be creating courses or doing business videos for a company. We're not necessarily, you know, coaching them per se, but maybe we're doing like some kind of product based thing. So like, for example, a great example would be Ecamm Live. We did the YouTube Simplified, not YouTube Simplified, the Ecamm Simplified course. And so that course was something that was like a paid service or whatever. Okay, you can do that for a lot of different companies, whatever the niche is and stuff like that. And then, of course, like you have like Amazon affiliates and then other program services that you may use. And then it comes to the YouTube like AdSense and revenue that comes directly or only off of what those videos produce on the platform, which at times can be nice. But again, it's sometimes like the lowest amount of income that we may make uh, like in a quarter and obviously across for the year. There's something I, I encounter quite often is people who have become great content creators, but you get to know them a little bit and you realize under the surface, there's almost no business because they focused so heavily on the content creation and the assumed monetization that would come with that. Mm. And for me, that's really exciting because there's so many additional revenue streams that you can bring into that. And you kind of covered that so nicely there. One thing you mentioned was the, was the coaching and the consulting side of things. How easy was that for you to get into? Because I think for some people, they find it very, very natural. And for some others, they find it they find it quite unnatural. And there's a lot of mindset issues around being the coach. Mm. It was really difficult for me, honestly. I think a lot of people look at like maybe the way I present or uh, how they meet me in person or what I appear as online or what have you. Underneath, a lot of that is sometimes it's like for on certain days, I may need to pump myself up. So I'm listening to some earth, wind and fire music or whatever the case is, you know, to get yourself, really snap yourself out of whatever that negative train of thinking is. OK, that doesn't happen as much these days. It's still a factor, obviously, to, to maintain a positive mental attitude and not just, quote unquote, positive mental attitude because it sounds cute, but literally always be in a maintenance mode of your mind and your emotions and how you're feeling and thinking because that dictates your actions. Well. Day one, first client I ever took came by way of a podcast. And then you see it in those uh, different calls to actions or whatever. So getting on a call with the client, when I got off that call, you would have thought I was running for an hour nonstop. I was literally sweating and just from nervousness, ner like, am I going, is she going to ask a question and I don't know what to say? Or <laughs> uh, is it going to be where this person finds out after they've paid me this uh, surplus of money? They're going to find out, like, I don't know what I should know or whatever the case is. So it is a lot of confusingness, if you will, around yeah. like the, the who you are or what you have to offer and stuff. My thing is, in the beginning, it wasn't easy. But again, I was just solely committed that if I wanted to get to where I'm imagining in my mind at the time, it has to go through some level of discomfort because obviously my best thinking has got me to where I am today in that moment. And that's always true. Like your best thinking has gotten you to where you are today. It's only that external influence, like whether that's from coaching, whether that's from courses or information or what have you listen to podcasts like this. It's going to come from that external information that now leads you into leaning into the discomfort. So I, 
I was completely nervous. I think I, my voice sounded quaky the whole time. Like it just, I, if I had that recording still, you probably hear all of that. No, it wasn't an easy transition, but the one thing that helped me personally, I don't think a lot of people realize how introverted I am and how much that's been a constant work. What I did that really, really worked for me was I started imagining that everybody I talked to is a good friend that I've had for years. Because at that point, now I can calm down. Now I can think clearly, not stumble over my words every time it's like I get off a call or something. It's like, dang, I should have said this, or I wish I had said that. So I would start listening. I recorded myself. I would start listening to where I stumbled. And then I just would imagine on that next attempt, next time I talk to somebody, now it's like, okay, I'm talking to a friend that I've been talking to for a long time. Even with podcasts, my voice didn't sound like how it is now. I didn't sound like myself. I sounded like a shell version of myself, like somebody hiding in the back of a corner. Whereas now it's like I'm able to fully present and produce who I am and show up as who I truly am on camera back then and not so much. So it's been a, a difficult transition. But again, it's just constantly leaning into those moments of discomfort. But for me, the great trick that worked for me, just pretend everybody's a good friend. I think these tricks are really, really important. And I think listening to you always reminded by one of my podcast guests did something amazing. doesn't really matter what they did, but I asked, I asked her about it. And again, to get to the, to cut to the quick, she said something to me, which has always stuck with me, which was your business will change when you change or your business will grow mm. when you grow. Mm. There is no business growth without personal growth. And a lot of people just are quite arrogant. I am who I am. And they just go through life saying, I can do everything. I don't need to change. I don't need to grow. And that's fine. You might get lucky. But the truth is, if you were to parachute me into the body of any incredibly successful business owner, I would destroy that business within a week because I'm not the person that I would need to be in order to be successful in that role. I have to grow into that. And you grow through catalyst of experience. And that's where you're talking about discomfort is so important. Most people avoid discomfort mm. while you're just going to remain the same. If you want to be lucky and if you want to be successful, discomfort is the price. It's so important to, to remember. Yeah. The leaning into discomfort is like, it sounds good when you listen to it. It's extremely hard to win that when those moments present themselves. And I think it's extremely valuable what you mentioned, like who, who do I need to become in order to get to this next level or the where it is that I'm saying I want to be. And I think one of the most dangerous things that people profess and keep saying over and over is like, just, just the way that I am. Or I've always been like that, or I've always had these issues. If that was the case, absolutely wouldn't have the opportunities or work with some of the individuals that I have now because I would have been okay with who I was. And it's not to say like hate yourself or whatever, but um, I think people in this audience understand that it is about knowing that who you are is good enough, but at the same time, who you are is also not enough. So it, it requires you to lean into that discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. So I have the Diana Gladney on my podcast. It would be ridiculous if we didn't speak about actually making videos. So let's <laughs> get into this a little bit. I know what you're talking about in social media marketing world. I checked and I'm excited <laughs> and I'm probably going to try and get you to let the cat out of the bag a little bit today, but you don't have to. That's okay. But where I'd like to start, because you, you work with lots of people through your online group coaching academy, but also one-to-one. -one. And if you're like anybody who who works with lots of people in a coaching capacity, you know that 
in the first week, you're probably going to cover the same things with the same people again and again and again. And I guess that's where I would like to start this section of the, the, the conversation is, okay, people, I know you do these things. These are the things that you need to fix first. So what do those things typically look like? To be honest, and it's very interesting that you ask that because most people do not trust that sometimes the best practices on YouTube that you hear about are actually the best practices. <laughs> and so <laughs> like it's, it, it is it's the wildest thing. I literally was addressing an email about an individual. If I said the person's name, everybody would know who I'm talking about. But I replied to that email expressing how I like I get how frustrating it is that you can dumb big personality, brand name, major TV networks, all that stuff, still not abide by the best practices. But that's honestly where it is. It's like it, the way I always present it is the same way that if you for I think most of our audience, if you listen to this, you probably are old enough when you used to go into the mall and it could be like Christmas time, whatever, just the, the mall is bustling. When you walk in, the first thing that they would have that would present to you is the you are here map. Like it give you the whole map of the upstairs, downstairs, food court, Sears, Macy's, whatever, all these different brands. But it would tell you like you are here. And so that's always like the number one thing, like with any client that I'm working with or whatever organization is looking at the map. OK, where are you trying to go? And then let's find out the you are here mark. Like, where are you actually at? Not where you feel like you at, not where you think. No, where are we at actually? Because a lot of people make the mistake of cushioning and, and refining and making it look pretty to say, well, I'm just I'm in a season of growing. I'm in a season of transition. That's great. Where are you actually at? Where, what are the real numbers? Let's factually look at things, take the emotion out of it, and let's actually look at where we truly are so we can figure out where we need to go and the necessary steps. So that's like usually where it is. And most of the time, best practices. Where are your thumbnails? Where are your titles? Are you really too much in the frame of you're speaking so much jargon for your industry and your niche? People have no idea what the hell you're talking about when you actually speak on the video. Feels like you need to be a psychiatrist or something. So that's usually like that first starting point. I got carried away listening there. It was mesmerizing. <laughs> One of the things that people often say is that YouTube rewards consistency. Mm. And I hear that. And I and my brain is saying YouTube sometimes rewards consistency. Because and there's this seed of doubt in my head, which makes me wonder, oh, is it worth the investment of time? Because there's this big anxiety of what if YouTube doesn't reward consistency? As somebody who works with lots of YouTubers, has lots of YouTuber connections, how true is that YouTube rewards consistency idea to you? So the truth of the matter is that is a statement that gets passed around a lot, but it has a truth and a lie about it. The truth side of it is the statement is true, but not for the reasons that people think. The lie portion of it is when people say YouTube rewards consistency, you can replace YouTube with your clients, your niche, your knowledge, your personal growth, your business growth. Those things reward consistency. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not YouTube is going to give you anything. Yeah, YouTube presents you with an opportunity. And so to not get into like the opportunity of YouTube, that's not the point. It's being consistent on YouTube matters because you are growing as a person. You're changing the platform. As far as the algorithm is concerned, YouTube does care about you showing up because they care about the people. That's where a lot of people, they confuse like algorithm and people. 
the people are the algorithm. When we sign in, you sign into your account, I sign into my account, we're going to see totally different things because YouTube is catering to us. And so when you're creating content and you're sitting in the creator seat or the entrepreneur seat or that, that content creating entrepreneur who I pr primarily speak with, you are not creating and speaking to make yourself sound great, to be wonderful or whatever. You're just serving. It's always being in, the, in a seat of service. When you cease to do that, when YouTube can't say, and it doesn't know if it wants to recommend a channel, because we don't know if you're coming back. You can say in your videos all day long, we post new videos every week. The YouTube banner can say, we post new videos every week. And then we look at the channel you see two years ago, one year ago, six months ago, two weeks ago, and then seven videos in a row for the last week. We don't know what you're doing. So YouTube is like, I don't know if I can send somebody there because who I'm trying to recommend, I want to make sure they keep coming back. And so the algorithm is based on people. And I think a lot of people miss that, that bit. That's why YouTube rewards consistency. That's why it's true is because they know that we have these many users that sign on, which that number just continues to increase. We have these many users that sign on. We have these many overall active accounts. We know that the person that you're specifically looking for signed in about 17 times in the first three days of the week. But in those 17 opportunities that we have to keep them on the platform, we don't know if we can take a chance recommending your stuff because maybe you made one great video and we haven't seen you since. So that's why it's like YouTube rewards consistency is because the algorithm is constantly in an ongoing search to look for content that's relevant to what your ideal target audience that you're trying to reach out to is looking for, but make sure it presents people and channels and organizations that actually, number one, serve in relevancy, but number two, actually serve by actually showing up. And this person has a reason to keep wanting to sign on and click because they're waiting to see your stuff. So I think listening to that, there's essentially two answers to the question. One is YouTube rewards consistency. It does. But at the same time, if you're consistently bad, <laughs> it's not going to reward that long term, which is where the other journey really matters, which is if you are consistent, then you will consistently improve if you're making an effort. And that consistently improving is an important element of your long term success and your longevity, because it's going to get easier and you're going to get better. So it's, it's going to feel like it's less work. Well, maybe not, because as you get better, you probably put more into it. So there is a balance. Yeah, I was just going to say it doesn't quite work. <laughs> it's like, that's the thought. <laughs> and it, it, it sounds great, but it doesn't actually, you actually, the better you get, the more work in your systems. If you got great systems, then yeah. sure, it may be more efficient, but I think we probably put in more work the be better you get down the road. Yeah, the better you get, the higher the standards have become. That, that's probably the way to put it. I guess another question for me, is a lot of people will tell me, oh, I'm not really very creative. I don't know what to make a video about. Well, I want to shake them and say, yes, you do. <laughs> However, there is the question of ROI. How am I going to get the best return on investment for my time? So I think the mistake a lot of people make when they're coming to make a video is I'm going to make a video about something I want to make a video about, especially in a new channel. I think this is my perspective and I'm happy to be told I'm wrong, but I think I'm, I was certainly guilty of this in the beginning. And to be honest, it's not far off the beginning where I think I'm going to make a video about this because I think it's a really good idea. And then you wonder why you get no views because nobody was ever searching for that. So when you're advising people, how do you advise them to decide how they're going to spend their precious time making 
the videos that are actually going to give them the best chance of attracting a viewer that's relevant? Um, I would definitely say if somebody wants to start getting that traction that they want for their channel, they're just getting started. I a thousand percent agree. Like it should make good business sense to make content, but without a system, without a process, without knowing how to make great videos, ROI is negative all day long. The best way to start that, especially for entrepreneurs, I've always suggest looking at your frequently asked questions. There's something that you, your assistant, your team, whomever is constantly having to answer the same questions via email or via this DMs on social media or what have you. I always say go there first and make, especially like you just starting the channel, make two, three videos that are around those frequently asked questions. Because number one, you instantly can turn those emails into the same three, four paragraphs that you may have to address. And it may be two or three parts of a, a thread in before now you get to the point maybe where you can present a service or you can present a product that you offer or better answer questions, get them to be a client, what have you. If you have a video that you can refer them to, or even better, they find you by way of that video, you jump through so many hurdles very quickly. And now you start to see, which is one of the things I initially started to see early on when I started to do YouTube the right way, was people come to your inbox now, or they now send that email saying, I've been binge watching your videos. I've learned X, Y, and Z from you. I'm ready to start X or I need to do X. And we've skipped all of that stuff because you did the work one time and it paid off for you. Now this person, again, they're ready to do business with you instead of you having to fight through the email chain and all of that. So frequently asked questions is a great place to start and it instantly gets you your time back. Imagine if your assistant didn't have to spend three hours of his or her day in the inbox. Now, what does that make possible for what they can do? Or now how many maybe goals that you had for the quarter can start to move up at least a few weeks because you have more of that time back. So that's an instant like ROI positive in time, which time is money, I believe. So money is simply an exchange for value. The value at that point is time. Now that can turn into clients and it just becomes a, a, a cycle that feeds itself, especially when you're just getting started. Something you mentioned a minute ago was I think initially when people start making videos, it's a little bit like shoot from the hip. What am I going to do today? It's maybe one week or something, a couple of weeks, nothing. But once you develop the appetite for consistency, systems become really important. And my systems are kind of weak, but I get through it. What is an optimal system for a YouTube newbie, we'll say, look like from your perspective? Where do you see the most common gaps? Where do you see the most common opportunities? The number one mistake especially when you're looking at time and you're trying to, especially for somebody that's already busy. I think most people that already can qualify themselves as busy for what you're doing for the week. So you're looking for those gaps of time that make sense. Uh, this is something that I teach. It's called the content quadrant where you're able to break out content creation in time blocks. And so in that first one, maybe something that you can do within 10 or 15 minutes, that's a good Instagram story. That could be a, a recording of like a YouTube short or a TikTok video. They, Quantify is the same thing, essentially that vertical video. You can record that in that same amount of time. Problem becomes you take those 15, 30 minute, even one hour time blocks and you say, okay, I'm gonna make content creation in this hour. Most people mess up because you're expecting yourself 
to come up with the idea, research the idea, quantify the idea, plan it out, see how much time you have left, and then try to run through a recording and then wonder why the video doesn't work. You can condense time frames, but not like that. There needs to be a separation between your planning time and your execution time. The planning time is, for me, especially when I work full time, breaks. I stop spending breaks with other people uh, at the company that I worked for. I spend those breaks at my desk. So I can just log out. I put a sign up that don't disturb me. And then I would just be executing on like going through my ideas, quantifying idea. How is this valuable to the person that I'm trying to attract or my ideal client? What's attractive to them? What would be most most helpful for them for where they're at and where you're meeting them in their journey? Okay, that's 15 minutes. You got a 30 minute, maybe 45 minute lunch break. Everybody takes. I started to condense time frames again. I'm not spending that those with other people. I'm going through trainings or whatever the case is. So you got to separate that planning time to the execution time. So now we get off work. And this could be the same thing if you're an entrepreneur. You still have those same time blocks. It's just a matter of how you're spending them. What time are you investing on your phone? Because it'll definitely tell on you towards just aimlessly scrolling social media, which can be a joy at times. But mostly it's the, the worst way we waste time um, is just by that unassumed amount of time just of consumption of just scrolling through social. And it's fine, but not when you're trying to do something to like refine that time and cut it down. So now when you have time available, have you talked to your family and committed with them? Like I need the next 30 days. And like if you got a spouse or something, talk to them. I need the next 30 days. I may only be available for dinner time. And then the movie times, I'm, I need to go back in the office or I need to go set some time aside and, and figure this stuff out. Now, once you, again, the planning time aside, if all you had was the two 15-minute breaks and a 30, 40, 45-minute lunch or an hour, when you get off work, the next two hours should be execution. And so now you're looking, for example, that content quadrant of the shorter amount of times to the greater amount of times that you have. What videos can you create in that time frame? So that's what I would suggest. It's like separating the planning and the execution time into two different segments. Because some people will say, I have an hour, 30 minutes. You can't go through all of the stages of trying to make a good video and like the planning and thinking about it too, all in the same gap. You have to separate that stuff out. I agree 100%. And I think this, when I unlocked this for myself, it really freed up so much because you only have so much mental energy and it makes so much sense to just silo off your creativity and say, okay, now I'm going to bucket 20 ideas mm -hmm. and I'm maybe going to outline one or two. And then the next time when you've got an hour to make a video, you just dip into the bucket and pick out an idea, say, I'm going to execute on this and everything is easier. Mm -hmm. I think something else you mentioned, what you do and what I do in terms of content creation, it's never going to be the most urgent thing we do. And I think that this is the challenge a lot of people have is there are so many things that appear to be on fire that to spend time doing things that like this, it, it is actually important. These are the things that will move the needle on your business. They require a great effort of will to address. And I think this is where systems become really important because if you mm -hmm. can build systems around the important things, like because they're not going to happen by themselves, they just won't because all those things that are on fire they're still going to be on fire tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So you need to be extremely disciplined to do the things that aren't on fire. Now, another place I want to go, there's two more things I want to talk about. The first one is I want to come back to discomfort because 
I'm kind of okay with the talking head video now. I can improve the quality of it. Like we're talking just now, my lighting's kind of weird. I'm not going to go fix it. I don't worry about that. But I know if I want to really level things up, then it, it's all about the environment. I'm probably being in places where I'm not comfortable making videos. So out on the street, doing the traditional vlogging style stuff. For me, that's a complete, oh my God, I'm going to collapse into a pile on the floor. So what advice would you have for anybody that's maybe thinking about being a little bit more public in the creation and not simply putting the stuff they make in private out in public? Yeah, that's a great, great question because the idea of leaving what you've now created as a comfort zone space of creating and just simply going someplace else to do that exact same thing. Oh, it's like went from 100 percent, you know, comfort level or even close up there to now it's like at 7 percent. So what I would suggest is just start moving around in your space. A lot of times just simply switching that up could be monumental for a lot of people. The reason why is just simply the change of environment. When you get into a space like if it's sitting in this chair, sitting right here with this specific angle at the desk. It becomes a comfort zone. It becomes a pattern that your brain recognizes. Your muscle memory kicks in for everything on your desk and, you know, X, Y, and Z. But what happens if you go sit back there? I have a little sofa. Now what? Your brain is like, this is different. So it's like just introducing those small elements of separating from what I'm doing at my desk. Maybe I'm finding a different angle. My office is deceptively small. For a lot of people having this conversation with a friend, he came came to town and so went got a chance to meet them in person. And it's like, man, your office is so big. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, I created angles simply just by switching it up to, okay, not this one at the desk. Let's sit on the other side of the desk. Let's sit at the other desk up against the wall. Let's sit on the sofa. Let's change the angle. Just simply doing that, one introduces something different for your viewers to look at, but at the same time, just get your your mind out of the, this is the only way to make it. This is the best way to do it. Because subconsciously, that's what you're telling yourself. This is the ideal position to create content in. The other thing is when you start going outside or you start literally, like maybe go in the backyard, go to a friend or a relative's house and go in their backyard. So it's not completely different, but it is different. Now, if you're talking about getting in public scenes, like where it may be sometimes like I've done videos and vlogs and stuff. I'm in I'm in the airport, walking through the terminal. There's all kind of people around. That is a death defying moment at that point. <laughs> you might as well ask me to do some Mission Impossible movie type stuff. But the one thing was that internal dialogue had to be corrected. I will never see these people again in life. And what other people think about you is none of your business. If you can adopt that and just repetitively tell it doesn't matter that they looked at you, you will never see this person again. And even if you did see them again, you wouldn't recognize them. They're <laughs> just like, you know, it's like how many, how many times have have you been to anywhere? You go to the mall or something, and you'll see people. You don't recognize those people unless they work there. You'll never see these people again in life. So why do you care what they think? What other people think about you is none of your business. And then the last tip on that I would say, Without the camera, start putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. One of the greatest things that uh, my aunt, who's been a great mentor to me when I was in my early 20s, I think at the time I was like maybe 19 or something, 
She made me go to the mall and she would make me go and talk to people. And I'm like, why do I need to talk to these people? This is weird. It's uncomfortable. No, she's like, you need to learn to communicate with people. And so I start setting a goal every day, 10 people. Just say like, oh, your hair looks nice. I really like that shirt. Or those shoes are really sharp. Just something like that. Those weird interactions that us introverts, we fight as all hell to never have (laughs) to just start having them. You start doing that and just like, again, 10 a day, five a day, whatever, just talk to strangers. Now you'll be a little bit more comfortable when you start getting out there around people because you'll never see these people again in life. I think for me, that's a really important reminder. I spent about just over 10 years in a search and rescue team. And I was quite comfortable doing some ridiculously scary things. And I remember the first day I was thinking, why am I scared of taking a selfie and putting that on Instagram? Why are you scared of that, Bob? All these things you're not scared of, and that's what's scaring you. And I I got to thinking, well, how do we train people to do really, really, really scary things? And it's exactly what you described. It's a process of gradually desensitizing people to things that they're sensitive to. And so for me, that's really valuable to hear because... I can apply, and anybody listening or watching can apply exactly the same process to whatever it is, is the barrier today. Just walk up close, move away again, walk up close, move away again. It'll be okay the next time you come close. So for me, I know what you're talking about social media marketing world. And I'm looking at things like chat GPT and I'm thinking, oh my God, it's going to write a whole YouTube script for me. I can be so lazy now. <laughs> I, you can Obviously in the time we have left, you can't give away your whole talk, but you've been playing with AI, what are the big mistakes that you see people making? And if people were looking for one seed as to how they could use it appropriately, what would you want them to think about? So the first half of the question of mistake is ChatGPT, other AI tools that are going to either reference it and use it, or they're developing their own now that like these algorithms and systems are known to people and it becomes more of a public thing. The one thing that I think people need to realize is that everybody's stuff is going to start to look the same because the Mm. bar has been raised with what it's going to kick out. Now, as it learns more different things from different people, different inputs, whatever, the baseline of content, like we're going to think it's great. Everybody else is going to think it's great. And then when everybody hits publish, I'm like, why do my stuff look like everybody else stuff? There's no difference. You have to remember, like you are still a seed. You know, you can't like not water, not plant, not cultivate that seed. Chat GPT can help with a lot of things or AI technology can help with a lot of things, but don't forget to water yourself, grow yourself and still learn things. If it gave you a script, that's great. What if that's not going to be great for your ideal audience and viewers? So still keep in mind who you're actually serving. Who's the person on the keyboard? Is this applicable to them? Is this applicable to where they are? And is this something that's actually going to resonate with them? You have to know when to tell the AI systems that it's wrong or when to say that wouldn't resonate. You know, and so I think like especially as these systems uh, are learnable, you can train it on your own systems and processes in your business. You still need to consciously be aware of and know Uh, And have your hand, I will say, have your hand on the pulse of your people. Be like a great doctor. ChatGPT is going to make, not not it specifically, but I'll say generically AI is going to make a lot of bad doctors. Everybody has a degree, a white coat, and a stethoscope around their neck saying, 
uh, with somebody walking in with a bleeding patient and say, oh, those nails look great on you today. It's like, what? <laughs> My arm is missing. Do some surgery. It's like one second while I put in chat GPT to figure this out. <laughs> like, no. Like, so you still have to know the symptoms, the frustrations, the angst, all of the things that your people need and let some of the systemized things, yeah, pass that off. It's absolutely going to amplify how we work, but be careful of that. And then can you restate your second question for me so I can make sure I, I answer it properly? Well, how can we effectively leverage AI? I mean, you've talked about mm-hmm. the danger of simply blending in with AI because there's more content. It's kind of generic. How can we use it, like you mentioned, as a seed in order that we can stand out rather than blend in? I think as these programs, again, continue to advance with AI technology, have your dedicated systems, the things that you know to work, embedded in those things so that if it becomes something like, so one of the clients I worked with, uh, his name is Ray Edwards, uh, they have an AI system. It's like having Ray inside of your computer all the time. However, it's like you need to know how it should reply and how it shouldn't. So I think the best way we can start leveraging it, have your own systems of what you teach or what you do or how you would respond, your tonality, your voice. I think uh, developing like a brand voice guide would be extremely helpful uh, for different business owners so that you can input that information and so it knows and it retains what's on brand and what's not. Uh, because now you're, again, like say you're an assistant, everybody basically got a free virtual assistant. In a minute here, everybody will have, for the most part, like a free video editor. So now what would take one editor all day to do, it may take an hour for an AI system to generate based on certain scripts and stuff. So know what are the, some of those time wasters. If you don't know and you have like a team or maybe you're doing all the stuff yourself, just start tracking your time. So I started using like a toggle track or something like that, just mm. simple system. You can use it for free. No biggie on that. But just so you can see where is your time going each day. Some of those base level systems, like I said, when it comes to emails, when it comes to maybe pulling gaps, again, scripts and all this stuff, it sounds really technical right now, but I think it'll be something extremely simple. Give it a year's time, even all the stuff that you're doing, that's consumption of your time or even consumption of your team's time. How can we invest that into a system, a script, or a program that would run and automatically do two or three different things for us? Now, where your team starts off and even where you start off for the day might be where it took you till 11 o'clock in the morning and you've been working since 6 a.m. All those hours now can maybe be condensed down into 30 minutes, letting an AI system take care of it. So that's what I would look through is like, look through where the time wasters, where the gaps, what services and businesses are leveraging AI now that you can say, this is worth a $10 a month prescription or whatever subscription so that that can take care of it. And our time is reinvested back in the company and it knows us. It knows the brand. It knows our voice. It knows the tonality. All those different elements are extremely important. So there's a lot to unpack there and I'm not going to attempt to do that right now <laughs> because I want to ask you about your book because there is a book coming like imminently in the next, probably if you're listening or watching this few days, or if not, then it's probably out already. But can you maybe tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm extremely happy to talk about the book. It's called The One Right Video. Now, The One Right Video, like it may sound like making the perfect viral video or making the perfect video. It's not about that. It's about knowing the things, like I said, we talked about kind of in this this episode, which is what are the things that's going to be attractive to your ideal target audience? And how do you start to take the knowledge that you know 
invest this into the systems, the formats, and the layouts that we have so that you can grow your brand, grow your business, and amplify it using video, using the one right video system. It sounds awesome. It sounds, there are plenty of YouTube video books, but this one takes a very particular approach. I'm excited by that. We should bring things to a close, Diana. My head is melting with so many ideas. <laughs> I've made so many notes. This podcast is a self-indulgent <laughs> venture. You can probably tell I'm not shy. It is what it is, but we should bring it to a close because I know you have something going on probably in another minute. For the listener who's maybe wants to connect with you, if they want to go deeper with you, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. You can always reach me at dianagladney.com, which is my website. And then obviously on YouTube, if you just type in at Diana Gladney, it literally will bring up my channel and probably tons of content for me as well, usually on any social platform that you could think of from TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, doesn't matter. At you Diana are Gladney. super easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess my last question is, what's one thing you do now that you wish had started five years ago? Mm. I would definitely say I wish that I saw the, the limitations that we have, whether it comes from time or maybe a mental or physical illness or what have you. I wish that I didn't look at it as like a limitation, but rather sometimes a gift because all you need to ask yourself is what does this make possible? And so if I literally said, said I can't do this because or I'm not able to do this because instead of reframing of what does this make possible? I wish if I had done that five years ago, I, I truly believe I would be at a different level in my mind. And at the same time, if if not, and let's say everything else stayed the same internally, I would be a completely different person. Just instead of looking at the limitations of what you can't do, just looking at it and asking, what does this make possible? Because now you look at a closed door instead of now just an open door possibilities. That is an awesome answer. Diana Gladney, I have had a lot of fun with you. For the listener, there will be a link to where you can pre-order the book in the show notes and all Diana's bits and pieces. That does bring us to the end of another episode. Thanks to you at home for listening. If you did enjoy the show, then I would gently encourage you to leave a five-star review. That's five, like the fingers on your hand, not two or one, none of that. And to share the show with just one person. If you did enjoy the show, then you will probably also really enjoy the Personal Brand Business Roadmap. It's 100% free as a gift from me, and it's 50 pages of everything you will need to start, scale, or just fix your expert business. You can click the link in the show notes or the description below this video, wherever you are, it'll be there for you. Diana, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to meet you in person in San Diego next month. And for you at home listening, thank you very much, and I'll see you next time.